Hi, and welcome to North of 48. It's July 27th, soon to be July 28th. It was 27 degrees Celsius today, northern Canada. The Pope's here for a visit. Um, I have some friends I talked to about that. Maybe we'll discuss a little bit. And it's the 155th day of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Welcome to North of 48. Let's you and I have a little talk. Just uh, some show notes here. We're going to have Diane Parent, uh, a friend of mine whose mom and sister went to uh, see the Pope at uh, Commonwealth Stadium um, as he's doing his apology tour. He's on his way to Quebec and then up to Equilac right now. And uh, Diane couldn't go to Commonwealth Stadium because she's got COVID. So we'll have her on soon, as soon as she gets her voice back, and we can talk about that and and uh, what her mom and sister felt about that day. First off, I just want to talk a little more about Ukraine, if you don't mind. Uh, they're either getting cocky or they're actually the, the weapons coming from Western countries, especially the Hamars uh, from the United States, are really doing damage to the Russians. Ukraine now warns the Kremlin to retreat or be annihilated in Kyrgyzstan. Um, successful missile strikes on bridges over the Dnipro River by the Ukrainian army created an impossible dilemma for Russian occupiers in Kyrgyzstan. Retreat or be annihilated, they said. The choice is theirs. They tweeted that out. This bridge is one of two crossings over the river that Russia uses to transport personnel and equipment to territories it occupies. The strike didn't aim to destroy the bridge, but to make it impossible for the Russian military to use. They weakened the bridge in certain spots, so you couldn't bring over this big equipment. They used a high-mobility artillery rocket system, HIMARS, that the U.S. has been supplying in recent weeks, and Russia has been using less precise artillery to shell civilian areas since its invasion began about five months ago. Um, So Ukraine's now telling the the Kremlin, leave or, or, or get destroyed. And reports coming out of Germany by Der Spiegel says that Germany's approved the sale of 100 howitzers to Ukraine. The deal is said to be worth 1.7 billion euros. And the Ukrainian uh, uh, military on Tuesday cleared the villages of Andreevka and Lozov of Russian invasion uh, forces. The two villages fell back into Ukraine hands and they killed 89 invaders. And that was on Tuesday. So why am I telling you this? Because there's lots of podcasts out there. There's lots of people with probably more 
um, direct information than I could ever show you or tell you. Sorry. But here, here's the thing is, is I was uh, a podcaster I really like. He was saying that the Ukraine war is lost and they should just put down their arms and give it to Russia. And I was thinking, um, I don't think they're losing. I think this is an atrocious idea, this war to begin with. Lots could have been done to stop it. But at as of this moment, I think the Ukrainians are pushing the Russians back. Uh, at least that's a lot of reports coming out of there. And there's a podcast uh, and a YouTube show that shows intercepted uh, phone calls from uh, Russians, uh, from the Russian soldiers and stuff to back home. It's quite fascinating. And um, so I got in an argument with a fella and he says, look at, look at Russia's military history, four or 500 years of history and Ukraines have, have none. And my thing is, well, hold on. The Russians came in. They were going to take Kiev. They were going to take uh, Zelensky. Whatever happened prior, the Russians doing it now don't have that same military history. There's been generations since the Second World War. People lose the the grasp of of war, and rightly so. I mean, that should be something for human nature. We should lose how to make war. But apparently, we're still rather good at it. There's a lot of people getting killed here. The land in Ukraine will have mines in it once it's either taken back or put under um, a plow again. There's mines in it. There'll be um, bombs, uh, phosphorus, phosphorus bombs the Russians were using as well, which lights everything up and burns everything in its path. And I would suggest to you that'll be um, a lot of plants won't grow after that. So I am not convinced as of this moment that the Ukrainians are losing. I am convinced that they're taking it to the Russians in the south and the east. I don't know how this is going to end. Here's the thing is we can't treat it like a video game. We can't treat it like a hockey game or a soccer match. This is war. War. And there's people getting killed, and it's a tragedy. But the sources emanating saying the Russians are winning, I'm not so sure of that. It's my opinion. So following a three-day visit that peaked with the pontiff, uh, the Pope delivering a second apology, this time on Canadian soil, for the Catholic Church's part in residential schools, Pope Francis ended his Alberta visit with a departure for Quebec from Edmonton International Airport on Wednesday morning. The Pope's presence in Alberta kicked off with what Francis himself has called a penitential pilgrimage across the country after an Indigenous delegation visited him at the Vatican in the spring, prompting the first apology in April. So that's huge. The, the Vatican and the Church did not apologize prior. During Francis's final public appearance at Lac Saint Anne, a pilgrimage site, this a 67-year-old Inez Jackson from Goodfish Lake, a small community about 200 kilometers northeast of Edmonton, said the gesture stirred a lot of strong emotions and memories. The way he apologized and asked for forgiveness that really meant a lot to me because my parents were in residential schools. Jackson said. Many expected Francis to deliver the second apology during his first public address in Mascawa and an indigenous community at the heart of her First Nation south of Edmonton. There he asked forgiveness for the ways in which church members and religious communities 
not least through their indifference, cooperated with the governments of the day in the cultural destruction and forced assimilation of indigenous people through the residential school system. Or as uh, they said, they would beat the Indian out of them. Was some of the words. Wilton Littlechild, a residential school survivor from Ermaskin Cree Nation and former commission of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, responded by placing a headdress atop Pope Francis's head. Francis addressed the parish Monday on reconciliation and exchanged gifts with indigenous community members before greeting onlookers on the street. And he celebrated the Feast of St. Anne and Yoakum on Tuesday. The Pope appeared at an open-air mass at Edmonton's Commonwealth Stadium, an event that saw about 50,000, closer to 70,000, I heard, people attend after performing a tour of the field and blessing a few children with kisses. The pontiff delivered a homily on the importance of grandparent, which was followed by the delivery of communion with the aid of hundreds of priests. The pontiff is now due to go to Quebec, and upon his arrival, he will be in a welcome ceremony at the Citadel, a 19th century fortress and national historic site at the edge of the St. Lawrence River in the province's capital. Papal visit organizer said he's scheduled to meet with dignitaries, including indigenous leaders, residential school survivors, and elected officials before touring the Plains of Abraham to greet the public. Following more events in Quebec Thursday, including another Mass, this time at the National Shrine of St. Anne de Beaupre, Francis will complete his tour with a visit to the Nunavut capital, Equilac, on Friday. Now, the Canadian government made clear Wednesday that Pope Francis' apology to Indigenous peoples for abuses in the country's church-run residential schools didn't go far enough, suggesting that reconciliation over the fraud history is still very much a work in progress. The official government reaction came as Francis arrived in Quebec City. The government's criticisms echo those of some survivors and concern Francis' omission of any reference to the sexual abuse suffered by Indigenous children in the schools, as well as his, his original reluctance to name the Catholic Church as an institution bearing responsibility. Francis said he is on a penitential pilgrimage to atone for the church's role in the residential school system in which generations of indigenous children were removed from their homes and forced to attend church-run, government-funded boarding schools to assimilate them into Christian Canadian society. The Canadian government has said physical and sexual abuse were rampant at the schools, with students beaten for speaking their native languages. So the government of Canada made clear that Pope Francis' apology to Indigenous peoples for abuses in the country's church-run residential schools didn't go far enough. Now, I think we should kind of remind the government that they were the ones who got the Catholic Church and the Jesuits and other churches to run these schools. It was on their behest. It was the government. And the government had inspectors for these schools. There was a, a couple of 
people during the late 1800s, early 1900s from the government who, sa- who said these children are not being nourished enough and they're being beaten and they're being abused. And the government did nothing. I think that even the Canadian government has apologized, but it's like calling the... I mean, the Canadian government made clear that the apology didn't go far enough. In that respect, the government's right. But on the other hand, the government has to admit it was through their use of these schools and the Indian Act that led to a lot of these abuses. Their failure to manage and regulate these schools led to the abuses we try to um we all want to have faith in our government and 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 the people who manage these departments and these schools and through history it's, it shows that uh, we seem to be getting let down and that's a shame especially it's a shame for these children who grew up, and a lot of them have committed suicide or they've got into addictions, drugs, alcohol, you name it. They've went off the rail. And and hopefully, what's ironic is they, they look to the faith of the Catholic Church to help them put them back on the rails. They have went through a journey that was caused by the Canadian government and the Catholic Church, and then they looked to the Catholic Church to get them out of it. Now, not everybody's happy with what's happened. I mean, with the apology, of course, nobody's happy with the residential schools. And it, and it cuts both ways. So this is an issue... Um, I've had some discussions with people. They don't think that why should the Canadian people nowadays have to be um, have to give money or to apologize? Well, because it's the country. It's it was the management. It was the politics. It was the government of the country back then. The people who are in this country are responsible, at least, to make it right. It's the only response I can see. Um, that I'm prepared for. I mean, we need clean water on the reserves. I don't understand why we don't have it. Poor management. Is it coming from the government? Yeah, they're supposed to oversee this. They're supposed to supply the means to have clean water. We've had, uh, there was a firm outside of Winnipeg who polluted the water of a reserve and that water is still polluted i think it's gone on about 12 years i mean who can who who can live with that that's it's bullshit it's bullshit okay carrying on with the pope a little bit some members of first nations in manitoba say they're angry that pope francis was given a headdress as a gift following his apology on monday for the role members of the catholic church played in canada's residential school system. For them, 
To gift the Pope the sacred item was disappointing, said Kevin Takan, a knowledge keeper and spiritual advisor from Sioux Valley, Dakota Nation, in western Manitoba. It's become a thing to recognize political leadership, and it's not meant to be that way. Takan said headdresses are traditionally earned by members who are doing significant work in service of the community. People have to prove themselves constantly. They have to continue to prove themselves going into the future that they still deserve to have it. There's protocols put in place for spiritual leaders to take away a headdress if the recipient hasn't upheld their work. Uh, People have started to say that the headdress doesn't mean anything anymore, that it's been tainted, tainted by politicians and people who just give it to anybody. Others supported the idea, the gift, the headdress with the feathers. Um, Phil Fontaine, a residential school survivor who has served as both National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations and Grand Chief of the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs, said the person who gave the headdress to the Pope followed protocols in requesting permission to present the headdress. He went to the elders, he went to leadership, requested permission to present that gift, so it was entirely consistent with the way they followed their customs and protocol. Takin acknowledges that some, like Fontaine, support the gift, but he doesn't agree with them. I suppose the Pope, he said, is the leader for them, but I don't believe that the Pope is the leader for the rest of us, he said. How do we invite the fox into the chicken coop and say, okay, you're the head rooster in here? It doesn't work that way. Dakota knowledge keeper and elder, one bitty Wakata said the type of feathered headdress given to the Pope is sacred and originated with the Dakota. They are traditionally only made and given in certain circumstances. People have to earn each eagle feather by making notable contributions to the community, he said. If somebody has a vision or if the community decides this is a good leader, let's pick him, they go over and they put a blanket around him, put a headdress on him, he said they will decide. He said medicine men can also decide if someone deserves a headdress. He already knows. He got the information from up there. He doesn't believe many people understand the meaning of the headdress anymore. I'm sorry to say that our people, they don't understand the sacredness of this, not the importance, the sacredness of something that came from the Creator. A lot of items have been earned through ceremony, through commitment. He said many young people now don't have access to these sacred or ceremonial items themselves, and they're watching them given away. Worries about the effect of their own cultural items becoming inaccessible to them. What I'm concerned about most, says Chance Papanekis, is how youth who don't have an in-depth understanding of the complexities, how they're going to interpret this division. It's a division that's part of the doctrine of discovery, he said, a 15th century papal edict that justified colonial expansion by allowing Europeans to claim indigenous lands as their own as part of colonialism, to divide and conquer, and we're seeing that we saw it live. Takin said he wished there had been conversation with the Dakota Nation and traditional leadership about giving the Pope a headdress. It's important that we have these discussions or we'll lose this part of our history. So for us, this history is real, and for those who are not indigenous, 
this history is real. Whether you came from another country to this land we call Canada, I'm first generation immigrant. We need to heal this country. We need to heal the divide. We need to acknowledge the pain that was done on behalf of all Canadians by the Canadian government and by the Catholic Church and other churches, including the United Church. We need to resolve this. We need to acknowledge it. We need a resolution. We need to be kind. And I hope you guys have a kind week. And thank you for listening to North of 48. Bye.